0: Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. We are in a message series called What Would Jesus Undo? Um, so many of you guys probably have, have seen those WWJD bracelets. I mean, let me Raise your hand if you've ever seen or heard of these WWJD bracelets that were all the rage back in the mid-90s and early 2000s. The idea, the concept of them is that um, you know when you wear that bracelet, it's supposed to remind you in life circumstances what is it that my Savior Jesus would do? How would he think about this? What would he see? And then maybe I would align myself with that principle. Great concept, but oftentimes, kind of like we found, people don't live that. They end up wearing the bracelet and then act the opposite, and it creates uh, an alternate narrative. But um, we're actually, in this series now, we're, we're asking the question, well, what would Jesus undo? Are there things in our lives as Christians um, that, that, that break his heart or that hurt, hurt his heart or disappoint him? Not from a perspective of like God's up there, a wrathful God, but like a father, like looking at his son or his daughter and saying, I just When you do this, it's not what I created you for, right? Or, or when you do these things, it 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 brings dishonor to my name, or whatever. You know those kinds of elements. What are some things that that uh, that break God's heart? What would Jesus undo? Well, last week I told a story about how we, we gave a, uh, a gift to my son, uh, Lincoln, and how at Christmas we, we spent all this effort in providing a gift that we were really excited to give him and how it actually fell flat and he was pretty indifferent about it. Well, this week I want to talk about a different kind of gift that maybe falls in a different way. Um, have you ever, uh, you know how like at Christmas time sometimes you you make, you, you order a gift maybe on Amazon or you order it for from the internet or from a store and you hope it's going to arrive on time so that you can get that item and wrap it up and then on Christmas morning you're really excited for them to open it. But sometimes what you order doesn't arrive on time. Anybody ever have this problem? What usually happens when you do this? You, In my family at least, we we will if we're worried that the gift is not going to come, instead of not having the gift at all, oftentimes we'll print out a piece piece of paper with a picture of whatever that gift might be. Has anybody ever done that? Right? So there have been a couple occasions, though, I'm terrible at wrapping gifts. I'm terrible at waiting until the last day to wrap gifts. You will oftentimes find me Christmas Eve or Christmas Eve Eve, um, you know, wrapping the gifts that I am providing. Well, there have been a couple of occasions where I have an empty box, and then because I don't have a gift that hasn't arrived yet, I had to print out a, uh, an image or a picture of that gift to put it in the box. And then there have been several times where I've actually wrapped the box with the paper and forgot to put the gift inside of it. And Fortunately, it's never happened to where Christmas morning or a birthday, anyone has ever opened the gift and seen this empty gift, right? Because the idea is is that you're excited for someone to to receive this beautifully wrapped gift, right? Sometimes people wrap it in newspaper, but most of the times, gifts are wrapped in elaborate, ornate-looking, really pretty, decorative, um, you know, wrapping papers and bows, and it's all gorgeous on the outside. And the last thing that I would want is for anyone to ever actually open it and then realize that there's nothing inside of it, Right? Um, Fortunately, I have not gotten to that place, but there have been several times where I have actually fully wrapped the gifts. And then an hour later realized when I saw on my desk that the piece of paper was supposed to be in there, that I did in fact have an empty gift. Well, what if, what if the songs that we sing, what if the sermons that we preach, what if the acts of service? that we have, the way that we we give our lives, the way that we come to church on a Sunday morning or that when we go to a homeless outreach, what if all of these things were like an empty gift? What if our lives are wrapped up in spiritual uh, image on the outside? We look the part, right? What if that's the case, but sometimes on the inside, because our hearts are maybe far from God, maybe we're distracted like we talked about last week, that we're actually offering to God perhaps somewhat more of an empty gift, What if, what if we were to do that? What would Jesus undo? I believe Jesus would undo something that I'm calling hollow worship, hollow worship or empty worship. And Jesus actually talked about this and he said, you worship me in vain. Like in vain. It's like, I would rather you not if you're going to do it like this, right? What is it that hurts the heart of God? Well, this week we're talking about hollow worship. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 15, if you guys have Bibles, I encourage you to open them up to Matthew chapter 15. Or if you have a smartphone or a tablet, get the Bible app. I encourage you to download that. Again, we encounter God in real life and the Bible app lets you bring the Bible with you everywhere you go. If you don't have a Bible, we have them free for you at the Connection Center. Please bring them and open it up to Matthew chapter 15. This is the gospel of Matthew. And Jesus is talking to some Pharisees. And we'll talk about them in a minute, but they're religious leaders, like the council of leaders who kind of made the rules, if you will, or enforced the rules of Christianity or of Judaism at the time. And so this is, it says in Matthew 15, verses 1 and 2, it says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Hey, Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Well, we're going to pause here for a second. The Pharisees were obsessed. They were obsessed with ceremonial cleanliness, right? This is not a physical cleanliness. Like in my house, I'm obsessed with physical cleanliness. I like things to be where they go. You can ask my kids at any point. I walk into my daughter's room and I'm like, why are your clothes all over the floor? Or when the kids walk in the house or when we all walk into the house, we have a little alcove, you know, like a little tile alcove before we get into the wood floor. And I'm always like, no, ah, stop, 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 stop. Take your shoes off right now. Right. If I see on the floor there's a little dust mite, you better believe I'm on my hands and knees reaching underneath. You know, like the little because I hate, I hate it. Everything's got to have a place. I need things to be clean. They need to be sharp. They need to be. They need to be sterilized and good. But this is not the type of cleanliness that we're talking about here. Ceremonial cleanliness means the state of where a person is eligible to worship. It sounds weird, doesn't it? In our modern Christian, like the way that we do church, right? Especially with us, right? We're like relationships first. We are, everyone is welcome. These are two of our core values as a church. So when people walk in the door, I don't care if you stink. I don't care if you look weird. I don't care if you, you know, are poor. If you're rich, I don't care what your color of your skin is, where you come from. It doesn't matter, right? But that was not the case in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament this time. Ceremonial cleanliness essentially was about a state of being eligible to worship. In fact, for devout Jews, there were two categories of people. Clean and unclean. Clean and unclean. In fact, there were all sorts of clean and unclean. Clean and unclean animals. There were certain animals you could touch or you could eat that were clean or they were unclean. There were certain types of food that you could eat that were clean or they were unclean. Or even things that were clean or unclean. So, for example, a skin disease would be an unclean thing, right? Somebody who had a skin disease would be called unclean. If there was any kind of bodily discharge, they were unclean. If you touch a dead body, you were unclean. Maybe you came across a pig. Well, now you are unclean because of that. Or maybe a mouse that was like scurrying through your house. But here's the thing, is that uncleanliness was also contagious. It was a contagious problem. So you could transfer it to somebody else. So for example, a mouse touches a cup in your house. Well, now you drank out of that cup, so now you're unclean, right? But then because you gave your friend a hug, now they're unclean. This is how it worked in the Jewish law, right? They were unclean. And so there was this elaborate ceremony that would take place in order to become clean, to become ceremonially clean, and this is what Jesus was, was talking about. This is what the Pharisees were looking at Jesus and saying, hey, how come your disciples don't do this thing that I'm about to talk to you about, right? So what would happen is, is in order for them to eat the food and to become clean and be eligible later on to go to temple and be able to worship, they had to do this ceremony where they would take water. They would take a minimum amount of water and it was called a quarter of a log. Does anybody know what a quarter of a log is? No, nobody? Oh, well, I'll tell you. A quarter of a log is about a one and a half eggshells. How weird is that, right? Like take an egg, and you crack it open, dump everything out, I guess, wash it out, and then you fill it one time, and then a half a time. That's a quarter of a log, and you would take that quarter of a log amount of water, and you would put your hands like this, right? So you would do like the emoji prayer, little hand thing, right? And you would pour the someone would pour the water over your hands like this. So everybody do this. Put your hands up like that, like you're going to pray, right? So it's in front of your hands. And imagine someone coming to you now and pouring a little bit of water over your hands. Now, the water could not run down your wrists. If it did, I didn't tell you you could put your hands down. Just you can put your hands down. If you did, if the water ran down your wrists and kind of like stayed on you, you were still unclean. So the idea is that the water had to touch your hands, run down your wrists, and drip to the floor, thereby taking the uncleanliness out of your hands and down to the floor, okay? So once you did that, then you would turn your hands upside down. to so do the other way. Come on, y'all. Okay? And then they would do the same thing. They would then pour the water down to the floor, okay? And then, and then what you would do is you would rub your hands together. Everybody, rub your hands together, All right? And now, and you put your hands like this, and you're done. Now you are ceremonially clean, and now you can eat dinner. Okay? So that's what happened. In fact, really strict Jews would do that between each course. Every single course of the meal, they would, you know, oh, it's appetizer time. Wash, wash, wash. Clean. Eat. Oh, man, now I have to do it all again. They believed in this process. And the Pharisees were asking Jesus, why don't your disciples do this? Why don't your disciples do the thing that our people have been doing for hundreds of years? And Jesus gives them an interesting response. He looks at them, because Jesus, if you've read any of the New Testament, you will know that Jesus does not have kind words towards the Pharisees. It's not that he hated them, but he was frustrated with them because of the state of their hearts. And so Jesus kind of unleashes on them. He unleashes and he says, you are not treating people right. You want to ask me why my disciples aren't washing their hands before dinner. He says, but I'm unleashing on you because you do these things and yet you don't treat people right. You obsess over all the external outside things. You are disconnected from the essence of why it exists in the first place. You have forgotten the purpose of it all. Verse 7, he unleashes on them. He says, you hypocrites. You ever been called a hypocrite? I have. Like in anger. Like someone called me that? it's not a fun thing to be called. And he says, Isaiah, the prophet was right when he prophesied about you. He says, these people honor me with their lips. Like they talk the talk. They talk like a good Christian. They talk like a good Pharisee, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, in vain. He says, your worship, Pharisees, is not pleasing to me. Right? And this is Jesus speaking as the Father, like he's speaking as one. He says, the way you worship, you're going to sit here and look at my disciples who are spending day in, and day, out, day in and day out looking at me and following after me, and they know what true worship is, and you're concerned about You didn't wash your hands. He said, your hearts are far from me. On the outside, it looks like you're worshiping me, but on the inside, it's simply an empty gift. What would Jesus undo? I believe Jesus would undo hollow, empty, vain worship praising God externally, but our hearts are far from him. And I think as a church, as the whole church, the body of Christ, I think as our church and counter-church, I think as individuals, we have a lot of potential to grow in the area of heartfelt expression of worship to God. And I believe it's actually one of the greatest areas of potential growth for all of us, for myself and for you as individuals in your relationship with the Lord. But I think the problem is that we actually get confused. I think oftentimes many of us get confused about what worship really is. I think some of us think it's a style, right? A style of worship. Some of us feel like the appropriate worship is an environment to worship in. For some of us, it's, it's this idea of song selection. Well, it's like I didn't really like the songs that were picked today, so I, I really couldn't engage in worship. Or the lights were really bright, I had a hard time connecting with the Lord today, right? And we think about this. Some of us love worship, and some of us are like, yeah, I don't really care. I mean, worship's really not a big deal to me, but here's the thing. It's not for you. Worship is not for you. It's for God. Worship, the whole reason of why we worship is because of who he is and what he has done for us. You know, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and for some of you, you're like, that word triggers like, like really, like freaks you out right? Because in my church growing up, there was a lot of hand clapping, right? There was a lot of like hands raising. There was some dancing. I mean, there was people like doing this in the aisles. There was, there was some shouting. There was excitement. It was an uppity, you know, environment. And don't get me wrong, it had some crazy weird stuff in some of those situations. But, but that was the environment that I grew up in, a Pentecostal environment, it was very emotional. It was very outspoken. It was expressive. It was an excitement in the air, right? There was an expectation around it. And I remember the first time that I visited a friend at his Catholic church. I had no idea what was going on. Stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, kneel down, stand up, kneel down, stand up, sit down. I was like, what am I doing? And why is this service like three and a half hours long? That's how I felt. And I mean, it was like, is he speaking English? He's speaking Latin? Like, I didn't understand. I had no idea what was going on. But, it, it, but growing up, growing up, I remember... I remember talking to people from, from Presbyterian backgrounds, Methodist backgrounds, whatever background you, you have come from, and actually discovering there's some incredibly beautiful expressions of worship in quiet, reverent spaces. I used to think it was boring. I used to think that, that somebody who would, who would, who would just would sit and just stand and just kind of quietly, I was like, you must not really love Jesus because you're just being super quiet. Like, you just you must be worried about what other people think about you. And on the flip side, people who come from that tradition often look at people who, who express with their hands and their, and their worship and they shout and they jump and they get excited. And they're like, man, you're crazy. It's all about emotion. You must not really understand the deep theology of Scripture. But the reality is, is neither of them are right and neither of them are wrong. We ask the question, well, which one is best and which one is right before God? And the answer is this, both. Or Neither. Both are right. Both are best. Both are beautiful. Both have, have their honest like, expression before the Lord. Or neither, if our hearts are not in the right place. And this is what Jesus was talking about. What Jesus was railing against wasn't that they were washing their hands. Jesus is not railing against them shouting and dancing and, and being exuberant before the Lord or, or that they were quiet and reverent. What Jesus was saying is whatever you're doing, you could care less in your heart. When you come and you worship him, it's hollow, it's empty. You're only singing because someone told you to. Jesus said, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And true, true worship that touches the heart of God is, isn't about style or music or style of music. It's about the condition of your heart. I imagine my kids when they were little, coming in into the room. And I remember, I imagine them coming in, Dad, we want to, have any any of you ever maybe as an aunt or an uncle or even as a parent had like little kids come in, they want to do a performance for you? You know, they want to like sing a song to you or they want to do a dance for you, right? And what if if my son and my daughter walked in the room and they said, we want to do a presentation and we're going to sing an acapella, right? And they sing this beautiful song and I say, no, 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 children, I prefer a rock band, right? Or what happens if they maybe come in and they're banging pots and pans and they're like making noise everywhere, right? And I, and they're trying to like show this exciting thing that they did. I say, hey, 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 stop this for a second. I, I prefer a more somber, austere presentation, please. I am your father. I deserve honor. I would, I would, please. No. When my children walk in the room and their heart is to please their mom or their dad and they want to do something that's exciting, I want them to do whatever the heck they want to do because their heart is in the right place. Do you understand that? That's the idea. Worship is not about the style of music. It's about the condition of our heart. What would Jesus undo? He would undo hollow worship And Christianity. Here's the thing. Christianity is not a hobby. It is not an interest. It is not a part of our lives. Christ is our life. He has bought us with a price. He has redeemed us. He has called us his sons and his daughters. And our entire life should be lived out in worship to him from the heart. In a place that because we know where we came from. Worship is not simply limited to the songs that we sing on Sunday morning. If the only time you think you worship is when we sing three songs on a Sunday morning, you're missing it. Worship is the lives that we live, the actions, the way we live our life. Let's consider for a second who it is that we worship. We worship Jesus Christ who lived a sinless, perfect life full of grace and full of mercy. He healed the sick and he, he spoke grace and mercy and forgiveness in. He revealed the heart of the Father, of, of the ones that we've been crying out for. God, are you up there? And he comes down and he shows us what the Father is like and he suffered on a cross and he bled for us and he died for our sin and he rose from the dead and he ascended to heaven. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father on the throne and he prays for us. Did you know that? That he prays for us every day. He intercedes for us. He loves us. He sees what we're going through and he's praying for us. He's saying, no, I want that to be different. He's looking into your life. He sees who you are and what you're becoming. He sees the things you're going through and he's, he's sending aid to you. And he sent his spirit into us and he's teaching us and he guides us. And he gives us mercy and grace and love and purpose. And he never leaves us. And he's never alone. And he's always working for us. and He's always pulling us to him. And in view of who God is, in view of what God has done for us, when your heart is right and it's connected to that, it's connected to God, sometimes we just have to creatively Give him praise and give him worship in ways that, that are not simply simply to just speak or to sit or to write. There are so many ways because he is the only one worthy of praise. The one who's worthy of it all. So how do we do that? How do we worship truly? I believe that we have some room to grow in our hearts, individually and collectively, in worship and in adoration, and how we express it with our bodies to our Creator. So let me give you some ways that we can grow in our worship. How do we express worship? How does worship get expressed? What do we see in Scripture? Well, sometimes we bow in reverence. Sometimes we bow in reverence. Psalm 95, verse 6 says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our Maker. Sometimes the proper response is, is this reverence of, oh, I'm overwhelmed by what you've done. It could be in your room. It could be a church. I welcome you. If there's a moment in worship where you feel, where you'd rather just just kneel down on the ground and just just be in a reverent space, do that because it's really not about what other people think. It's about you. Sometimes we bow in reverent worship. You know, Peter fell down in worship before the Lord. The wise men, when they came to Jesus, they knelt down in worship before the Lord. And I will tell you that either now or later, Paul told the Philippians church that one day every knee will bow before Jesus Christ. So you can choose to do it now or you can choose to do it later. But why not when you're you're overcome by the reverence and the the holiness of Jesus? Sometimes we bow down in reverence, but sometimes we lift our hands in adoration. This morning, uh, Dana, our worship leader, shared that and exhorted us to lift your hands in adoration. This is not a weird thing, okay? This is a Bible thing. Paul said, lift holy hands to the Lord. David, in Psalm 63, verse 4, said, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands, right? The concept is, in our society today, what does lifting your hands mean? It means either pick me up, right? Like like I see kids this morning. Today, we were in our little song circle, and my niece, Ellie, was like lifting her hands out. Mama, Uncle Jared, right? Lifting, lift me, ah, ah, pick me up. Sometimes it means surrender, like put your hands up, right? This idea of surrender, but it also means victory, right? There are times, like think about it at a football game, right? Where like something happens, you go, yeah, and we lift our hands up, right? It's a surrender, but it's also victory. And there are times when we adore Jesus, when we worship him, when we lift our life in surrender, or we experience victory, we lift our hands because of a symbol in our hearts of what God has done. Sometimes we dance in celebration. Now you're like, I ain't dancing at church. I ain't doing that. I'm not a dancer. But I will tell you there have been times where I have danced. At a wedding. At, a, at concerts. Right? I mean, probably all of us in the room have done that in some sense. And maybe you felt awkward. And I'm not saying these are requirements. But listen. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about who he is. Sometimes we dance in celebration. Psalm 149, verse 3 says, Let them praise his name with dancing. Praise him with dancing. He's not even using your mouth. That's like, that's like, I'm so excited. I'm about to jump on the floor and break dance. You don't want to see me doing that because I might might show y'all up. I mean, the thing about this, we get like new iPhones, right? I've like, done like a little jig. You're looking at my new iPhone, right? Like I, you know, like ask ask my wife out on a date, and she said yes. And I was like, you better believe I'm walking back in with a little swag in my step. Like, that's kind of a dance, right? Like, I understand. I'm totally like a little weird guy, and I don't know how to. Our team wins. We, we celebrate, right? We're dancing because we're excited. I mean, you see people all the time, like, together. We were in Toronto, Ontario, my wife and I, uh, uh, several months ago. And we went to a park, and there were all these people in a little drum circle. I know you're like, drum circle? That sounds weird. And, and it kind of was. But they were all in this drum circle, and I'm telling you, they were just having a good time. There was, there was this one lady, she's just, like, dancing around and all that. It's not as weird as we make it out to be. Sometimes you just need to dance in celebration. David said, you have turned my weeping into dancing. Turned my weeping into dancing. If there is anything that is worth dancing for, it would be. Our lives were full of weeping, guilt, and shame. And he has redeemed us. He saved us from it. It is worth being excited about. I have no idea who I'm talking to specifically today, but someone has been set free. Somebody has been healed. Somebody has been forgiven. And there are times where it is just right to dance before the Lord. Sometimes we worship with a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes we worship with a sacrifice. Hebrews 13, verse 15 says, "...through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise." So here's what it means. We worship him when we feel him, but we also worship him when we don't. We worship when we are joyful, but we also worship when we're low. A sacrifice means it's taking something that you need or that you have and giving it willingly, even though it hurts. And let's be honest, there are times when you're probably like myself, I don't don't really want to go to church today. Or maybe in my devotions in the morning you know, what? I'd rather just listen to a podcast. I don't really want to sing on the way to work today, right? Or maybe I'm frustrated. Maybe I'm sad. I'm angry. And I don't want to take the moment to, 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 to talk to God or to worship Him. But this is in that moment right now where it's a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes it's, it's not about us. It's about Him. Giving Him the glory He deserves whether I feel like it or not. Right? Our worship is not based on our circumstances. It's based on his character. Because of who God is, he deserves worship at all times. But the good news is that he promises us that whenever we're in his presence, he transforms us. He gives us peace. So when, whether you come into his presence with frustration, with anger, and you say, God, you are good, even though I don't feel it. God, you are you're worthy of praise, even though I'd rather do something else. I'm here because I know that you're good, because you deserve praise. And I'm frustrated and I'm angry, but I love you. And you say those things to him, something begins to happen in our spirit. Something begins to happen in the presence of God. It begins to soften us. He begins to give us the right perspective. His spirit washes over us with the peace that passes the mind's understanding. And then you walk out, and your circumstances might not have changed. but You feel different about it because your perspective is because you met with God. This is how a sacrifice of praise works. So, sometimes we bow in reverence. Sometimes we lift our hands in adoration. Sometimes we dance in celebration. Sometimes we worship with a sacrifice of praise. But daily, we lay down our lives as an act of worship. Daily, we lay down our lives. I mean, this is really what Jesus was talking about, right? You can wash your hands. You can sing songs. You can go to church. You can even read your Bibles. It's the way you live and with the source of it that really matters the most. Worship isn't just the songs that we sing. It's really who we are. It's how we live. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because of what he has done and who he is, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. True and proper worship. Worship isn't just the songs that we sing. It's who we are. It's the life that we live. It's the choices we make. Does the way I speak to my boss when I just got scolded, when I just got criticized, could that be an act of worship? Does the way, does my attitude in the morning on a Sunday morning when the clocks, I lost an hour of sleep, is the way that I see that or the way that I show up, is that an act of worship? Is how I spend my money an act of worship? It's how I sing songs on a Sunday morning. It's how the way I raise my kids. It's when I, however we live our lives, can that be an act of worship? Yes. Yes, it can be. And yes, it is. In fact, that's what Paul is saying to us is that we are not just the songs that we sing. We are not just the verses of scriptures, We're not the cross that we wear. We're not the WWJD bracelets. We're not the cool T-shirts. We're not the, the Facebook things that we share that let people know we're Christians. True worship really is in our actions that has been fueled by a heart of a recognition of a God that we serve. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I want to give us a chance as we close this morning to worship our God to worship Him. And I would encourage you to worship in, in whatever way out of these things or maybe even something completely different. I encourage you to take a moment to, to inventory of, of who you are and how you feel about God right now. Maybe it is adoration. Maybe it is reverence. I don't know, whatever it might be, but I encourage you to just take that moment and have a moment with just you and the Lord. Well, to kind of maybe get your heart right or your mind in the right place to sing this last song together. Who is God? And why do we worship Him? Maybe close your eyes and listen as I share this. God is our rock. He is our Redeemer. He is our righteousness. God is our deliverer. He is our defense. He is our strength. He is our shield. God is our salvation. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the living water. He is the good shepherd. He is the true vine. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Jesus is the light of the world. He was the Lamb of God who was slain. He is the Lion of Judah. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is ever-present. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the author. He is the finisher of our faith. He is the soon-returning, conquering King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we offer to Him this morning and every morning our lives as a living sacrifice of true worship to our God so I want to just close the service now, creating a moment where we we put our hearts in the right place. Maybe today is the first time that you have ever thought about it that way, that every time I've been to church up until today has been about a song because someone told me to sing it. I didn't understand why, and when I did, nothing happened in my heart. Well, now, Now is an invitation for you to to begin having a closeness and relationship with the Lord. And I promise you, the Bible promises that when you come to Him with a true and contrite heart, and you thank Him for who He is, that He promises to meet you in that space whether it's by singing loudly, whether it's by being reverent, whether it's by lifting your hands in surrender or in victory, whether it's dancing or kneeling, whatever it might be, just have a moment between you and the Lord this morning. And let's sing together and just worship the King of Kings and who He is this morning. days and weeks, months, and even years, we give you permission to challenge us in this area of worship. If there's ever moments or times where we begin to forget the reason we worship, or our heart is disconnected from that, it becomes hollow, I pray that you would, that you would gently nudge us with love to remind us that we're in the right, we're in the wrong place, that our hearts are not connected properly. We thank you for your word this morning. We commit ourselves to worshiping you with true worship, the worship of our lives, that we would actually think, what would Jesus do? That we would choose to live out for you, that we would choose to invite you into our lives, that we would encounter you every day in our everyday life and worship you with our small choices. We praise you. And in that, we believe and trust that we will meet with you, that you will speak to us, that you will give us guidance, that you will answer our prayers, that you will take us to new places, and you'll change us into the people you've created us to be. I thank you for what you've done in our hearts and what you're going to do this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home, or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.